Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of a Trophy Life Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Rathbun, coming to you from Atlanta. And let the games begin. This is the last weekend coming up that we won't have college basketball until the Final Four. And what an opening slate of games Tuesday night to kick off the brand new season. As we check our Jersey Mike's news and notes, the Champions Classic gets things underway big time with a doubleheader at Madison Square Garden. First game has number three Kansas taking on Michigan State. And in the nightcap, number 10 Kentucky against number nine Duke. My guest this week, Mike DeCourcy, the Sporting News, will be talking about that doubleheader and much more as he previews the new season in just a moment. And one other note before we get to Mike, Brian Thornton has been named as the new commissioner of the WAC. He comes over from the American where he was the associate commissioner for basketball. Prior to that, he spent two years in basketball development at the NCAA. So congratulations to Brian Thornton as he takes over over the Western Athletic Conference. Lots to talk about with Mike DeCourcy, and that's next after this from Jersey Mike's. If Jersey Mike's turkey had a resume, it would say it's 99% fat-free and raised without antibiotics. But our turkey already has its dream job at Jersey Mike's because premium meat makes a sub above. It is always a pleasure to have a chance to catch up with a guy who does so much for us at Naismith with his voting and identifying the top players year after year for us. He's, I mean, he is the man. It's Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News. Mike DeCourcy, how are you? I am great, Bob. How are you? Terrific, and Happy New Year. We got a week to go, buddy. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm thrilled. And, you know, I think as I look upon the new college season, I think the one thing I'm going to be most happy for for these players is that they're going to get fans back in the stands. After what we went through last year, to see these crowds back is just fantastic. Yeah, you know, I'm getting ready for the Champions Classic at Madison Square Garden, uh, where Duke will play Kentucky and Michigan State will play Kansas, and that'll be my first game of the season, and, and as it has been since they introduced this uh, this event. And I've been at every one except for last seasons when I didn't attend any regular season games because of the pandemic. And so this will be my, although I was at the final four, the elite eight, the sweet 16 last year, and there were some fans in the stands. This will be my first game in nearly two years uh, with, with an actual real basketball audience. Uh, And, and what better place to do it uh, than at the Mecca. Uh, I'm I'm very excited to go. How do you feel about traveling? You know, at this point uh, I've been vaxxed, boosted uh, the whole deal. Uh, I, I feel like, you know, I, I'm not like I feel like Superman, but at this point I feel like uh, uh, that I've done everything that I can do and, and need to, to resume my life, so to speak. And, and my wife feels the same way. Uh, we try to keep ourselves in circumstances that are reasonably safe, but I'm, I'm excited to be back out there. And, and like I said, uh, uh, there's no better place than the garden. And, and I'll be curious because there's always that magical feel when you enter that building. Uh, and so I'm excited to see whether, you know, in the, in the pandemic era, whether that, that you know, that the, the, uh, the garden magic can supersede the pandemic to an extent. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. It's always an event. So what do you think about that doubleheader? What are your initial thoughts? Well, I think it's going to be fascinating. I, I've gotten a chance to see Duke practice uh, two, three weeks ago. I went down and got a chance to see the Blue Devils practice. 
and I, I was impressed by their group. Uh, they're missing one young player, but uh, at that point, I think he's not back yet. Uh, but they, so I saw most of their group and really liked uh, Paolo Banquero. I was really impressed with him. Uh, a guy who has an NBA power forwards body, he's 18, 19 years old, NBA power forwards body, and the movement and grace and, and dynamism of a wing or shooting guard, and the skill as well. Uh, so a, a lot there. I think he's going to be a great player. And then I watched Kentucky's blue-white scrimmage on the SEC network. And so I got a chance to watch them and, and get a feel for what they have, and they're very deep, maybe even a little bit too deep in today's game. That's going to be a challenge for John Calipari to – to manage who plays, who doesn't, how much, all of that. Uh, but it's, it's obviously better to have too many players than to have too few, as, as was the case with the, the, the uh, Wildcats a year ago. So those are two big-name Blue Bloods that will be bouncing back for sure. And, and certainly, Mike, as, as you mentioned, Duke, uh, this college season will be a season-long uh, tribute to Mike Krzyzewski. Uh, to watch him, it's going to be the last time for everything. You know, last time at the Garden, last time, you know, at Carolina, et cetera, et cetera. But, hey, why not for what he has meant to the game? You know, it's interesting. Um, I, I, Mike was very generous with his time and spent forty-five, more than 45 minutes with me one-on-one uh, when I was down there. And, and I wrote about it uh, for SportingNews.com and it, it's certainly worth checking out if if you're interested in what his mindset is as he approaches this season. It, it, one of the first things that he said, uh, or or was said to me at when when we arranged the interview, is don't use the word last. That that word is basically forbidden uh, yeah. in, in around Duke basketball. He doesn't want it to be defined that way. And 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 he's always had a real way of thinking about these things because. Bob, I have not used the word defending champion in more than 30 years because I remember his message to his players in 1991-92 after they'd beaten UNLV and the and then Kansas at the 91 Final Four. He took his players into the room, showed them the trophy, and he said, "Look, you're not defending that. They're not coming to take it away. Uh, we're we are not. We're trying to win another, but we're not defending anything." And so I, I, ever since then, I've used the word reigning champions. Never say defending, because uh, I think he's right. They're not. You're, de- it's, you're trying to get another one. And yes, you are the champions. You're the, you're the ones that have it now. The Milwaukee Bucks are the reigning champions of the NBA, uh, Tampa Bay in, in, in football. Uh, but uh, they're not coming to take those away from you. So I, I so I'm, I, I was willing to go along with his, uh, with his decision not to use the word last, and then. He, he used it himself in conversation, a casual conversation with myself and uh, and Seth Greenberg, who was at the same practice, and I got a chuckle out of that. I thought it was kind of funny that he, he let it slip. It's been interesting to watch Mike over the years, of course, and, and for those of us that, that uh, were around calling games when he started, you know, to think that had it not been for an athletic director, God rest his soul, Tom Butters, there might not have been the Mike Krzyzewski that we know of. He stuck with Mike through some, you know, trying times early, as most young coaches would go through, particularly in a conference like the ACC was back then. And uh, to see what it has become uh, has really been one of the most magnificent stories in the history of sports in our country, not just college basketball. Yeah, there are some stories over time that take on a little bit of a legend status that, you know, oh, was it really like that? It was really like that. 
he was like every everybody in the Duke fan base wanted him fired, and instead it, he went into an office with Tom Butters instead of, and he literally thought that this might be it either. Uh, you know, you're, this is it, or we need to see this, or that's going to be it. And instead, he handed him a contract extension. Uh, it actually happened, and it's a, it's it's one of the amazing stories in sports history. And and I, I, I you know, I, I never got a chance to have a conversation with Mr. Butters about that. Uh, but you, you mentioned what the ACC was like then. Think about this: Michael Jordan was in the ACC then. Ralph Sampson was in the ACC then. The uh, 80, the legendary '83. Uh, NC State team was in the ACC then. So it wasn't exactly like the climb was an easy climb. And I think that uh, Butters understood that uh, and understood that, that what he had seen in Mike was true, uh, was real. And obviously, uh, he, his instincts were correct. Uh, he, he hired the greatest college basketball coach of all time. And had some, maybe he didn't know that, but I think he understood he'd hire a really gifted person who was going to get it done. I do recommend all our listeners to the podcast check out Mike's story on Coach K. It really is good. Uh, it's a detailed story, and uh, we recommend it to you all. Uh, Mike, let's talk a little bit about the, the new season. Uh, we touched on it a little bit with the Garden Doubleheader, but uh, kind of your overall thoughts on what you're seeing as we get ready to uh, drop the green flag? I think the first thing that, that strikes me about this season, Bob, is that because the NBA has altered its view of the big man and what it wants to see in that player, it's pushed a lot of them back into college. And I think name, image, and likeness has helped that instead of you know trying to fight your way up through the second round and, and, and maybe a two-way contract or whatever, uh, you come back to college you can earn some real money, and you can maybe polish the area of the game that the NBA said was wanting. Uh, you know, if you're if you're Trace Jackson Davis at Indiana, unbelievable low post player, but he's only six nine, and they don't use that much that skill much in the NBA now. You've got to be able to shoot the basketball, so he's got to go back to Indiana and not necessarily uh, rearrange the entire IU offense so that he can shoot more jump shots, but at least. Uh, add that add that as a weapon to his game I, it, for Kofi Coburn, who could be the best player in college basketball this year. Real force at the rim, six six or six eleven, seven feet, somewhere around there, two hundred and eighty pounds. Uh, impossible to move, but can you move your feet on the perimeter and guard the pick and roll and be a threat on that? And if you can, you can play. He could play in the league for fifteen years, uh, but if you can't. You can't play in the league at all, and that's really where we are in, in the NBA now. Uh, so I, I, he's back, and, and Drew Timmy needs to be more physical and, the, again, also needs to be able to show a little perimeter game. And so all those guys are still in college basketball. It's created kind of a bonanza uh, of extraordinary big men in college basketball. I didn't mention Hunter Dickinson at Michigan. He's another, uh, and, and it, it's, it's really made a difference in – this season, uh, what 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 this season portends? Uh, I I think that you look at uh, some of the players that uh, that are, are coming into college basketball now, uh, who might might or might not have uh, been interested in, in playing college basketball if it weren't for name, image, and likeness. A guy like Jalen Duran at uh, at at Memphis, Imani Bates at Memphis. Those guys might have been inclined to take the nice money being offered by the G League Ignite. Uh, and do that, but they can make as much or more in college, and 
I'll be honest, I, I still think college is the best training ground for basketball prospects. I, 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 can you do it other places like the Ignite? Yeah, you can. But I don't think it's as good as playing 30, 35, 40 high-level games where you're, you're being coached for and against by guys who are, who are used to doing this, who, who have a track record of taking high school kids and turning them into pros. And so I, I think we're seeing a lot of players that are in college uh, that that were you know were lured by the name, image, and likeness thing, and probably as a result have more high level talent uh, in in this particular season than we've had in a long time. And then you add on the super seniors, guys like Jordan Bohannon uh, at Iowa, now playing I think his sixth year in college basketball. There are plenty of guys around the country like that. Uh, and and it, it all adds up to what should be one of the most exciting seasons we've seen in a while. You know, you make such a great point about name, image, and likeness. The other side of that coin, of course, is with elite and, and overtime elite here in Atlanta, is that just by the sheer numbers, there's no way these all these kids are going to make it, uh, whether it's Europe or G League or the NBA. And they have nowhere to turn here at age 16, 17, 18. They can't go back to college. Uh, that is troublesome to me, just in the development of these young people. Mike, do you think there's ever, well, I'll let you comment first, but do you think there's ever going to be a way that the NCAA would take these guys back and, and restore college eligibility if they flame out? You know, I think that's, a, that's a, something that I think they need to confront. I think they need to be discussing it now. What do we do with, with these young men if it doesn't happen for them professionally? Do we just say no? Uh, it, it, it's it's been to, you know, in baseball, uh, the, the time frame is a little bit more compressed because you're talking about, okay, you come out of high school, you're drafted, you go into A ball, low A or whatever, and by the time you figure out whether you're a pro or not, a major leaguer, you're, you're well past what would ordinarily be college sports age. And so that, 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 that really hasn't been an issue for, for the NCAA. But in, in this in this overtime elite situation, uh, you're you're talking about guys who might be you know signing with them at 16, and then by 18 there might not be any professional interest in them, and and so then what happens? And do you just discard them? I I think that the NCAA should be talking about that right now. What you know what would would need to be done for those players to restore college eligibility? Sit out a year maybe something like that? Would that be enough? I think those are things, conversations they should be having now since this has been in, introduced. I, I, Bob, I'm not a fan of the concept. I, I, I'm not saying that I have a problem necessarily with young people being paid to play, but I don't think it's a great plan. Uh, I think there's too much out there for, for them to gain uh, by going through the college system. Uh, the, the, the education is, uh, is of great value both off the court and on. Uh, again, I, I don't think there are people out there who are better equipped or a circumstance better equipped to turn out uh, professional basketball prospects than the college system. It, it's worked for 70 years because those people have grown accustomed to it. They know how to do it. Now, I know Kevin Ollie was part of that system for a while, and he's now coaching with the lead, and that gives him an advantage. And so the same for Dave Lado. Uh, but the circumstance itself is not. I mean, you're 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 not playing at the same level uh, of players. When it was initially advertised, 
we're going to have, they call it the overtime elite league. Well, they couldn't find enough guys to put a league together. So now right. they're, you know, rounding up any high school team willing to play them. A lot aren't because, one, it disrupts their own circumstance, and two, there may be some implications of playing against guys who are professional players currently. Uh, and so uh, they don't, they're not able to play all of the best teams. Uh, there's no real championship to play for. It's just it's basically glorified pickup ball. I don't. I'm not a fan. I think there are better ways to develop, and I still don't see what the end game is for the organizers. You know, what do they get out of this? You know, what's the value to them? Because if if you don't know that, then we don't know that it's a positive value. I just wonder, Mike, if if uh, ignite and overtime elite and situations like this would have even come to be. Had the NCA not dragged their feet for years on name, image, and likeness? <laughs> Probably not. That's a great point, Bob. And you know, I, I when when they finally came out with the Supreme Court decision in, uh, in the Alston case, uh, I think that was back in April or May, uh, and I, I I did a piece about uh, go went all the way back to when the O'Bannon case in 2014, I guess prior to its trial, when it was pretty obvious that once the judge accepted it for trial, the NCAA was going to have a hard time winning. Uh, and the, 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 the complainants were very willing to settle. And I don't know that the settlement cost would have been exorbitant in terms of dollars and cents. It would have been more about uh, change in format, change in approach, and the NCAA wouldn't bite. And I don't, I just have never understood why they did that then. And we could have been a decade ahead of where we are now, nearly a decade ahead of where we are now. And, and we still came to the same place. And what's it cost the NCAA in terms of opportunity? What's it cost in terms of legal fees? It's, it's a disappointing thing to see that, that this is, you know, this is the direction that it's all followed. All right, before we let you go, let's talk about the Naismith and uh, some of the uh, front of mind names for you, obviously, Drew Timmy, you talked about. Um, yeah, I'm so happy for you guys like Colin Gillespie, you know, coming back at Villanova. That's great. I can't wait to see Chet Holmgren at Gonzaga. But uh, And you mentioned Kofi a second ago. Uh, Johnny Juzang, Dickinson, you talked about. How about Max Abrams out at Oral Roberts? Yeah, Max, you know, I, I'll be honest. I'm a little disappointed in a lot of my competitors, colleagues uh, at other outlets for not, you know, I think we uh, we announced Max as a member of our preseason first team. I think we're one of the only ones, if not the only one, that did that. Uh, some of the others kind of, I think they kind of, you know, took the easy route. Well, he's only at Oral Roberts, so what are the chances he's going to end up a first team All-American? You know what? I mean, he went out in the NCAA tournament last year, and he tore up Ohio State. He tore up Florida. He showed it wasn't a fluke. He led the nation in scoring. Now, I will say, he, I think his final scoring average was 24.5 points a game, and it was the best in the nation. He won't make first-team All-American, I don't think, at 24.5 points unless Oral Roberts does some really extraordinary things with their season. But I, I think he's going to do better than that. I think he's going to go out and hit 26 or 27, and with everything that he's accomplished to this point, I know it's, there's not a carryover, but he's shown that it's not just him running up numbers against Summit League teams. He can score on anybody. Uh, I think he belongs on a first team, uh, at the very least going into preseason. So I, I, we, we had him there, and 
I think that's, you know, I think he could very well end up in that position. As some of the other guys that I'm uh, excited about, you know, Trace Jackson Davis made our All-America team at Sporting News third team as a, as a team from a losing player. Excuse me, as a, as a player from a losing team. Uh, Bob, I've been at Sporting News for 25 years, more than 25 years. I don't think we've had five guys make it on any of our teams with losing records. He was that good last year, and I think they're going to win games this year. So many great players, and just, you know, like a guy like Remy Martin transfers to Kansas, um, Scotty Pippen Jr. Uh, these guys, uh, the talent, you talked about it earlier, Mike. I mean, the talent level this year in college basketball is as good as it's been in a long, long time. I really do think that. Now, I, I don't know if the NBA level talent, like last year, we I, I saw Scotty Barnes in person uh, over the weekend uh, with the uh, Raptors uh, here in Indianapolis against the Pacers, and I had great seats. Uh, my wife's company came through, and they were great seats, and so I got a chance to see him really up close and personal, and I was really, really, really impressed. So we get guys like him and Kate Cunningham, and I, so I don't know that the draft will be as strong next year. But the college players, because of that big man thing, because of the NIL bringing in guys like Bates and Duran, I really think that this is as good a college group as we've had in a very long time. And with that note, let's start playing some games. Mike DeCourcy, gosh, <laughs> we could we could talk all day. It is so good to catch up with you. This is uh, an annual visit for us, and uh, – we just uh, we read every word you write, my man, and it's fantastic. Let's get going. Appreciate you. Bob, I'm, I'm proud to be associated with the Naismith Award. Uh, really honored that uh, to be part of the selectors, uh, and and really excited to see which of the players that we've uh, we've put on our top 50 list that'll come out soon uh, will be the one that holds the trophy at the end. Ah, uh, fantastic, Mike. Thank you so much. That's it for this week. Get ready. We drop the green flag on Tuesday. College basketball is back. From all of us at the Naismith Award, Bob Rathman saying so long.